0: Hello, and welcome to the ARC Podcast. I am Joy, and I am here with Adam Sabados. Hello. We're really glad you're here. We have a special interview to share with you today. We interviewed September Vaudrey, and she is the author of Colors of Goodbye, and it's a memoir of her story of losing her 19-year-old daughter in a tragic accident, and how she has learned that through her grief, Jesus is real even so. Mm -hmm.
1: We had the unique opportunity uh, to hear her speak at uh, Tyndale's Chapel in the morning and then we got to interview her right after. So it was great to hear her speak and tell her story and then get to dig a little deeper uh, with an interview.
0: Mm -hmm. And as you'll hear, September touches not only on the loss of a loved one, but also on the loss of dreams or of expectations or of relationships and as humans i think we can all attest to what loss feels like and um, the recovery that is needed for it so we hope you enjoy it Uh, again her book is called colors of goodbye it comes out in april and we hope you enjoy it
1: thanks for listening
0: So September, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today talk about Colors of Goodbye. It's really a pleasure to be with you.
2: Thank you. Um,
0: just to start, could you tell us a little bit about your background, um, about your family, and what prompted you to write your book? Mm.
2: Well, uh, uh, my background, I guess, would be I, I grew up in the country, family of uh, four. I had, a, I had a younger brother. Uh, I got married, and uh, we, my husband and I have five kids and um, they are now grown. Um, And I'm a writer by trade. And uh, when um, our middle daughter was 19, uh, she passed away from a ruptured cerebral aneurysm, and which um, is pretty awful, as you can imagine. And uh, so for a year and a half, I had people telling me, you're a writer, you need to be writing about your grief and all this. And I I couldn't write anything for about a year and a half. Um, And then, suddenly, I I couldn't not write about it. And I I needed to get these images, uh, some of the images from the hospital and such, um, out of my head. They needed to have someplace else to live besides my head, where they were just um, obnoxious Mm -hmm. and rattling around in there. So I began writing. And what I learned was that first 18 months, I actually had been writing about it, but it had been in emails and letters to friends. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just started with the first phone call, and I just began mentally painting each scene of our experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so the book goes from the, it literally starts with the first phone call that, that, that first day. And then um, it wraps up at about the three-year mark of Katie's death. Mm-hmm. So, and it was really—it's um, the way that I that I grieved the loss. And uh, grief is an ongoing journey, but but the really the heavy lifting of my grieving happened in the writing of this book. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you go through a loss like that—not just the loss of a child, but you go through any traumatic loss and we've all had them yeah. you know it's not always the death of a loved one sometimes it's the death of a marriage or the death of a dream or the death of our innocence when we were children um, it, when we go through something like that it does bring up existential questions is God good? can I survive? is my life ruined? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is certainly was my story as well yes,
0: absolutely and I think what you mention um, is that this book can touch people who have suffered loss of all kinds? So it doesn't have to be as severe as losing a child or a loved one to death, but other other losses. And I'm sure everyone, you know, our listeners, and then, you know, Adam and I can attest to that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. When you um, started writing, did you go into it thinking this is something that could help people, or was it did it start as strictly therapeutic, and then later you discovered that hey, maybe this could.
2: Help somebody. It, that's a great question. It, it began as therapeutic um, and it was um, it, I was maybe two or three years in and I had taught a parenting class at I, I attend Willow Creek Community Church. I'm on staff there and I had taught a parenting class one night and a group of uh, my friends young moms had, had attended my class and afterward they kind of sat me down and they said, you need to tell your story and you need to write it in a book so that other people can hear it and my first response was who's going to want to read a sad story about someone whose child has died you know especially moms i'm living i'm aware i am living your worst nightmare and my friend brandy said this she said you are showing me that even if the worst happens i can survive Mm. and I want to know how to survive. I want yes. to understand how it is that you did what, what you've done. Mm. And um, so I thought, all right, let's see what we can do. And so at that point, I began thinking of it more as a book. And um, I've told our editorial team, you know, initially this book was 134,000 words, so, oh. and, which is just for frame of reference. That's a, a large book. It's not War and Peace, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. not The Red Pony either, you know. Right. So, yeah. um, and uh, I think... You know, when I sat down with Tyndale and they um, expressed interest in publishing the book, they asked me, how is it going to be for you to have this darling of yours edited? And I I said, you know, um, those 134,000 words did the work that I needed them to do in my soul. Now, our task is to trim in such a way and edit and, of course, rewrite some parts and such, in such a way that serves the reader. Mm -hmm. And so it was not at all hard to get out the machete and, and, you know, lop off some big pieces and and really try to think, um, boiled down to its essence, what what is the story and what would serve readers no matter what their type of loss, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. so.
0: Yes. The The title is Colors of Goodbye, mm-hmm. and I, I've noticed as looking through it, mm-hmm. you do structure the book around colors, mm-hmm. colors of grief. Yeah. And um, as we all know, grief is a process. So can you walk us through, you know, your thinking behind that? Yeah. It's, um, you know, my daughter,
2: uh, Katie, was, you know, she died when she was 19. She was uh, an art studio, a studio art major, um, and was a prolific artist. She had already had a professional Showing under her belt and was well on her way to having that be her career. And so and we're kind of an artsy family and and so art in general is part of our family's story. and I tend to think in pictures and in the emotions and such and and colors have such emotion attached to them. And so the the book is divided into six parts and an epigraph, and each part represents, it's really a paint color is actually what Mm. it is. So it's not like red, purple, green or something. It's like vermilion and cadmium green light and you know, Mm. hansa yellow. And these are paint colors that are standard across the world, you know. Mm. Um, But yeah, each color represents an era. So just by example, the first uh, part one of the book is titled Vermilion. And vermilion is not just red, it is a brilliant bright eye grabbing red and with that first phone call it's exactly it felt like retina searing you know I, in fact i wrote for each of these parts i wrote a little a little kind of a poetic piece explaining what the color meant and for vermilion i wrote this the shocking retina searing red forces its way into our eyes we cannot bear to look but we cannot look away -hmm. And that's what that first part of the book of our story was like. It's Mm -hmm. like horror. You cannot believe this is your life, Mm -hmm. and yet you cannot bear. You you have to look. I mean, this is your life, and this horror is actually real. So it goes, you know, through a series of colors, and Mm -hmm. and uh, toward the end, we do get to Hansa yellow, Mm -hmm. which is a much happier, you know, um, you know, color. And uh,
0: Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's Mm -hmm. kind of how it's a very honoring and visual way to communicate and i don't know just share more of the soul of who Katie probably mm-hmm. was yeah. you know for sure mm-hmm. and
1: for people listening to uh, there's like a extra part of the book where you get to see art throughout which I thought was really cool plus the in the back you have the, uh, the explanations for each
2: of art yeah mm-hmm. yeah it yeah. was a great idea no the designers did such a beautiful job with the book they used um, a ton of of course it was I think probably fun for them to have somebody's actual artwork to be part of the design so like they didn't have to start with nothing you know yeah. and um, I got to give a shout out to my to my daughter Katie here because yeah. so the, the day before she passed away uh, it was a sunny day she was she's like I gotta paint you know and so she whips out her easel and she painted a rough draft of a piece and um, she said, you know, she didn't like it when people would watch her when she's painting. She likes to finish the thing and then show. So I couldn't watch her, and she's out there painting, you know, get, catching some sun. And, and then she calls me out like 45 minutes later onto the back deck, and she goes, Mom, I'm, I'm going to make a painting for you and Dad. And I did a rough draft, you know, so I want you to see this rough draft. Rough, rough draft. And she said, um, the title of this piece is The Bleeding Tree. And I said, the bleeding tree? And I, you know, that's kind of Jesus-y. You know, it sounds yeah, kind of, you know, spiritual. Right, right. And she goes, oh, it is. I can't wait to tell you what it means. So okay. she whips it around, and she shows me this painting. And, it's, and it was literally done on, like, newsprint. It wasn't on watercolor paper. It was just a rough draft, and she had whipped it out. It's a painting of a tree that's off of our deck. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, Katie, I put your rough draft on the cover of the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <shit.
0: laughs>
2: No. Yeah, I'm sure she would just roll her eyes, but yeah. but it's a beautiful painting oh. for what it is, mm-hmm. and um and I address mm-hmm. that kind of in the closing essay of the book. I she she said she cannot wait to tell me what it means, and then the next day she she passed away, mm. and so um, I don't know for sure what it means. I have some ideas, um, mm. but it won't be really until heaven that I get to hear the mm. full story of what she had in
0: mind. Wow, it is a beautiful, it's a beautiful cover. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any portions of the book that you'd like to read us? Maybe something that would help our listeners? Mm.
2: You know, um, I think when any of us go through a significant loss, especially if we are, you know, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, um, whether we consider ourselves to be followers of Christ, or we come from a different faith background, or no faith background, um, significant trauma brings up existential questions. And and I was certainly uh, no exception to that. And I could let me, let me share one passage from uh, the early part of the book, the vermilion section yes. of the book. So, so this is at the hospital. We, Scott and I, um, we had left our two younger kids at home with a friend when, when we got the phone call. We raced to the hospital. Um, our three older kids, our daughter Bethany and our son Matt and his wife, were living in California. Bethany was in college. Matt was in grad school down there. Um, so we had called them. We get to the hospital. Katie's in a coma. She's on life support. It's looking very, very grim. And I'm realizing we need to get our younger two kids here as quickly as possible. And so I step outside, because I couldn't get phone reception in this old brick building of this hospital. So I step out onto the ambulance bay, and that's where this picks up. And it's a bit of a snapshot into the existential crisis that that this opportunity presented. Mm -hmm. As I step onto the ambulance bay, the early summer warmth envelops me Melting away the air conditioning-induced goosebumps on my arms, as I try with trembling hands to dial Brooke's number, a slow-motion hush washes over me and stops me in my tracks. I raise my eyes. Ancient oaks line the hospital street. Above a thin white cloud hovers against a cerulean blue sky. The almost summer scent of freshly mown lawn hangs moist in the air and fairy-like tufts of down from nearby cottonwoods drift by a deep sense of peace floods over me and my trembling hands drop to my side this moment feels holy tears begin to run down my cheeks and i lift my face to god i am good i sense him say this tragedy doesn't change my character It doesn't change who I am. Mm. I am good. How ludicrous his words sound. Really, he's good? How could a mother of any sort of emotional capacity affirm this sappy, God is good message given our situation? Mm. But something in his words ring true. I want them to be true. This tender encounter with God is undeniable, as real to me as the pavement beneath my feet in this ambulance bay. He is wrapping his strong arms around me in this world where pain has the brutal and current, but not final, say,
0: mm.
2: I am good. Will I find his words to be true, no matter how this mess turns out? Mm. And as readers you know, learn shortly, Katie was declared brain dead about four hours later. Mm. And uh, she was an organ donor, so that began about a 24-hour vigil of saying goodbye to her. Um, and it began, you know, probably what will be a lifelong journey of of grief and of wrestling with those kinds of spiritual questions, some of which really don't have good answers this side of heaven. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. That really, um, hmm. it helps us see and process through the emotions that you were just such a shock and yet even in that God was present. Mm-hmm. And even present maybe and in, in not in... In a way that wasn't easily understandable at Mm-mm. the time, you know that does not make sense that God is good. No, when your daughter's in the hospital, and I'm sure that question, can I, can I believe that God is good, is probably throughout the book yes. and a theme maybe throughout yeah. your life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. and um, you know, around toward the end of of the book, which ends at the three year mark of Katie's death, um, I do come to some kind of resolution. It's in a way. Um, because some of these questions, really, we, we will never fully understand the side of eternity. That is sort of the conclusion that I reached to some degree, is that sometimes you have to accept what will never be understandable. Yes. Um, but what I could not possibly deny, and this is throughout the book, was God's tangible, aggressive goodness to us mm. in spite of our loss. Mm. And the very, uh, I mean, really, it almost got to be comical how overt he was In trumping our pain with the kindness of others and with his goodness um, in small and sometimes in very tangible ways and so yeah in the end I really I mean you do learn in seasons of pain you learn God's character in ways you cannot learn it um, when life is good and easy yeah Mm
1: -hmm. This morning you spoke in chapel here at Tendale people listening that don't work here wouldn't know that but uh, one of the things you talked about was the I can't remember what you call them There are four uh, steps a characteristics a of grieving well way.
2: kind of yeah mm-hmm.
1: um, can you talk a little bit about those do you remember what they are I, I can <laughs> I don't
2: have my notes in front of me but yes well, I I, I, okay word. you can prompt me <laughs> so name your loss name your loss that personal. yes I you know um, everyone listening here has been through some type of loss i mean you cannot be a human being in this world without having gone through seasons of loss Um, and they look different for each of us, and we all have different capacity to navigate loss as well. Some of us are more resilient, some of us are less so, and some of us have a a family history that might set us up well, or maybe not. So it looks different for everyone, but for all of us, until we are able to kind of boil our loss down and put it into actual words, I believe it cannot really crystallize. Uh, There's a lack of clarity when we haven't put words around it, Um, and you know, for myself, I can look back, and I've had some significant seasons of pain before we lost Katie, um, which I mentioned briefly in the book, but it's not really what this book is about. But um, you learn um, that until we name the loss, you know, God, God can't comfort that which hasn't been grieved or which hasn't even been named. And sometimes you have kind of a Kind of a foggy sense of sorrow, mm-hmm. but you've really never done the work of crystallizing it and mm-hmm. understanding not just the circumstances that caused your loss but the layers and the ripple effect of that loss afterward so sometimes it's a matter of you know for example with Katie we lost we lost a 19 year old daughter mm-hmm. who loved Jesus and loved people, and it was such a horrible loss mm-hmm. and will you know it, it'll be something we grieve when we're ninety. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, we lost um, grandchildren that she would have had. We lost a future son-in-law. We lost um, art that she had yet to create. My siblings lost decade upon decade of sibling memories. You know, an aunt and uncle and cousins and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's different layers to your loss, no matter what the loss is. Not just the loss of a person, but, you know, loss of a dream or the loss of of a relationship that you thought would be your best friend forever or the person that you would marry. And, and then suddenly that's no longer the case. There's layers to that loss. And what are those layers? And name them, put words around them. Mm-hmm. It will help you in your grief. Mm-hmm.
1: The next one is one that I struggle with the most which is feel all the feels
2: feel all the feels yeah you know you're not alone i think in that i think that um you know some of us are more emotive and some of us are not and part of that is just how god has wired us um but i will say this we are all human beings created in his image and he is such an emotional god Mm -hmm. so i i never buy it when people tell me "Oh, i'm just not a feeler what you are is someone who probably does process their feelings more inwardly But it's not that you're not a feeler. You're just not expressing your feelings. And there's something very cathartic and healing about giving yourself space and permission to actually feel. Don't stay in your head. Your head is not going to help your your grief. Your heart is going to help you grieve. And um, if you only stay in your head, I mean, grief will have its way with you. (laughs) I mean, you know, it it will come out cockeyed in ways that you couldn't control or that you didn't see coming. And now you have regret. And... You know, so it's really, if nothing else, it's smarter and quicker to just let yourself feel all the feels and go there. Go to those hard places and trust that I think sometimes people are afraid, especially those who are not as emotive, and perhaps you fall in that category. Um, You're afraid that if if I start crying, I won't be able to stop, or it'll overwhelm me, or it'll be the worst if I, you know, I'll just be so, I'll drown in my sorrow if I ever bridge that dike. Well our emotions really don't work that way it's like a bell curve Mm -hmm. so even in let's say let's say my my non emotive friend Jerry has experienced a deep loss and he doesn't want to go there but he decides I'm gonna I've got some time this afternoon no one's home I'm actually just gonna let myself sit in the reality that my marriage failed and so Jerry sits there and he experiences that loss and there may be some overwhelming emotions that come but they will crest at the top of that bell curve, and then they will come back down. And um, that's true in the short term with individual moments when we take the time to grieve our loss well. It's also ter- true in the big picture. I mean, you know, in the first year of loss, you're just climbing that, the left side of that bell curve. And mm. it's devastating, and it is overwhelming, and you do feel like you're drowning. Um, and it does get better. And, and for those of you who are new or raw in, in loss, no matter what your type of loss, I promise you it does get better and you can do yourself some favors by grieving healthily because it doesn't get better for free. Time does not heal all wounds without intentionality and without handing those losses into God's care.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work it does it's a courageous thing (laughs) you have to be brave to work through hard things like that and i think like you said earlier um this morning it's much better to go straight through it although it Mm -hmm. seems like oh i could just maybe avoid it or go around or like circuitous route and really that just like really any injury i think of you know a running injury if you just you know take aspirin and ice it you know that'll deal with it for a little bit but if you don't if you don't rest mm-hmm. or like do the hard soul work it's just going to prolong and even make the injury more severe absolutely so yeah just yeah.
2: you'll cause yourself more harm by avoiding the grief right by avoiding the injury to your to your yes. word picture for sure
1: yeah absolutely yeah. the next one was find your tribe
2: find your tribe yes so god does his work on this earth primarily through people there are times when, you know, you might have an ambulance bay encounter. Like, I'm not the kind of person that go- goes around saying, God whispered to me this, blah, 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 mm-hmm. regularly. Like, that's a rare experience for me. Um, and he does sometimes encounter us in kind of a more direct way. Most of the time, it's on the shoulders of the people who he puts in our lives to help us, you know, in those seasons.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I think one of the things that is surprising often to people who are in a season of sorrow is, is that the people who wrap themselves around you and actually help you are not always the people you would have predicted ahead of time, um, and I think it's easy to get a little bit um, irritated by that or hurt by that because you're like, oh my gosh, my small group didn't even bring me meals or you know whatever. Nice. I, you know, it's just for the record, my small group did bring me meals. <laughs> <laughs> they were awesome, but. Um, You know, what happens is you go through something like, you know, any kind of a trauma like that, Mm -hmm. and you change. Number one, you're in a traumatic situation, and not everybody is equally equipped to deal emotionally. They may not have the emotional capacity to really offer you what you need. Mm -hmm. Second of all, you are growing. (laughs) I mean, pain changes you, and it grows you, and uh, your needs have changed. Your needs for a close relationship have changed. So before we call foul on our friends who didn't show up the way that we thought, I kind of had to call foul on myself and go, you know what, I'm the one that's changed. It's it's not that my former friends aren't awesome, and they don't love me. They do love me, and I love them. And I still have a, you know, good relationships with them. But um, this is often the case um, in, in grief, the people who come alongside you aren't the ones that you expected. And God will bring new people into your life. And um, that that have the capacity to help you in that season and he will use those people to carry you Mm -hmm. so yeah you need a tribe get your tribe Mm
1: -hmm. the last one is my favorite one spot god's thumbprint
2: (laughs) (laughs) so yes um i think i you know i've already mentioned god god is so first of all i mean it's it's true throughout scripture it's true in the psalms uh God really has a thing for people in seasons of pain. And I think it's because our hearts are so tender and open to him Mm -hmm. that um, he's drawn to that. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He understood heartache. And um, so in our experience, I, I began noticing that... You know, I would look ahead and I would realize, oh, gosh, I've got, you know, I've got Katie's birthday coming up. And this is going to be a hard, you know, we, in our family, we t- we call all of those calendar dates the awful firsts. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the first, you know, it, it, not again, it could be, you know, the the day that you would have gotten into the grad program you wanted to get into and you didn't. Or the day that would have been your wedding day, but you and your your significant other broke up. Or, you know, there's those landmark days that are hard. Um we began to notice that the darker the day might be, the more obvious God became and how he would trump us with some way of just showing up in, in, in beautiful and kind ways, mm-hmm. often through the hands of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, in chapel this morning, I, I read a passage, I'll, if you'd like, I can read it again now, just about the, the tree. Please. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes, please do. So um the month Katie came home from her freshman year of college and she was home for a month before she passed away. And during that month I had had wrist surgery and I had my hand in a cast. So she was doing all these errands for me that I couldn't do. One of the things that she did was to plant all of my spring flowers in my planters and stuff. So she went out, I sent her to Home Depot with my credit card. She comes back with all these pallets of these obnoxiously loud colored hot pink petunias. And I mean they were classic Katie. You know, the girl was she was not subtle. So, um, so she fills all my oak barrels and my planters with these gorgeous flowers, and then she dies. So this whole summer, I am, you know, I've, I've got these petunias to remind me of, uh, of, of my daughter, and that's where this uh, scene picks up. The hot pink petunias Katie had planted in my planters in May went crazy that summer, overflowing their pots, reminding me Katie was here. But to petunias are warm-weather flowers— They live their short lives with robust abandon, blooming day after day, no matter the heat. But they cannot take the cold. They will die at the first frost. As the autumn days grew shorter and the temperatures at night began to drop, I felt a looming dread. I knew the first Chicago freeze would soon hit, severing this vibrant, living connection to my daughter. About mid-October, it happened. A heavy overnight rain turned to sleet, the temperature dropped. When I stepped outside the next morning to go to work, Katie's petunias hung encased in a heavy blanket of ice, dead. I drove to work as usual, but I couldn't get the image of those ice-covered flowers out of my mind. I kept getting weepy at my desk. That afternoon, my husband Scott stopped by to say hi, and I told him about the flowers. Just call it a day, honey, he said. Go home. It'll be the first day of work you've missed because of grief. Just go home and take a nap. I took his advice. I went home and lay down, but I couldn't sleep. Half an hour later, the doorbell rang. Two neighbor ladies stood outside, Lois from across the street, and another woman I'd never met. Hello, September, Lois said. This is Kim. She lives three doors down. The new woman hugged me. We heard about Katie's death, and we're so sorry for your loss, she said. We want to do something for your family. My husband and I own a landscape company, and we want to plant a tree in your yard, something living to remember her by season after season. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable! What an incredible gift, I said. Thank you. I don't know why I didn't come over sooner, Kim said. I've been meaning to stop by for months. Actually, today was the perfect day, I said, explaining about the frozen petunias. Something living to remember her by. God's timing, I'd say. We hugged again, and I thanked them both. Three days later, a tall, stately maple tree was planted along our drive. And today, as the seasons come and go, we are reminded not only of the daughter we lost, but also of a tender-hearted God who shows his love through unsuspecting neighbors on frosty autumn afternoons. Mm So that's just that's just one example of the types of thumbprints. It, once you develop an eye for God's thumbprints, they are everywhere. He is trying to break into our stories, and sometimes we just miss it. And so if you can yeah. develop that kind of a filter that catches him at mm. the act, you know, in mm-hmm. the act, um, it, it gives you a nice sense of hope, and it does help you understand that he is good.
0: Yes. -hmm. And that He is there in the sorrow, absolutely. And like you said a little bit earlier in our conversation, He really shows Himself in seasons of pain in the Word of God, and then obviously in stories that aren't even in the Bible. Yes. Um, And I think I was doing a study recently on First Kings 19 when Elijah just had this mountaintop experience of proving God to be God, and Jezebel threatens to kill him, and so he runs in fear into the desert. And um, he asks the Lord to take his life. He's yeah. so defeated and so hopeless, and it is then that God sends an angel to touch him and sees him in his very human need. He doesn't, you know, reason with him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't try to change his emotions. He gives him food and water to yeah. sustain him for the for the journey ahead. So, I just think God is a merciful God, as you talk about in yeah. the book, and yeah. um, He remembers that. We are dust, and he has compassion on us like a father does. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, exactly that's right. That's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Well, I think we've just only scratched the surface of yeah. everything, and we could probably keep talking to you for another couple hours, <laughs> but uh, we want people to go and buy the book and read your whole story.
0: Wonderful. You know. Mm-hmm
1: and then buy 10 more copies for all their friends yes
2: (laughs) you know Tyndale (laughs) purposefully printed it in paperback because it does it is the type of book that is um it's a good gift book for because we all know people who are in those seasons and so the price point is a little lower in paperback yes and it lends itself a little more to gift giving in that way
0: yes absolutely if our listeners wanted to uh, find out more about you and your family Mm -hmm. online how would they do that
2: um, I have a website com. Okay. September uh-huh. like the month I think we know how to spell that one and then uh, my last name is Vaudrey, V as in Victor A-U-D-R-E-Y yeah. so yeah okay. SeptemberVaudry.com you can follow me there I'm on Facebook I have an author page there and okay. um, active on Instagram and a little bit on Twitter as well so That's yeah perfect. great we'd love to hear from people
0: yes thank you September thanks
1: for being on our podcast thank
2: you so much yes